Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You may not always like his opinion, but you can bet he'll have one. Welcome to The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Good afternoon, Canada. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Roy Green Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. My name is Andrew Lawton, in for Roy for one last day. Just coming up on seven minutes past the hour here. I hope you are all having an absolutely wonderful weekend so far. If you weren't, well, I think with some of the things we have planned for you over the next three hours, you might cross into the positive column from the negative column, if that's where you are. Going to be speaking later on in the show with Claire Tugald-Lafleur, a PhD candidate in the Human Nutrition Program, about to study she has championed and spearheaded, expressing essentially why children are not getting enough nutrition during school hours, even if they're getting the right amounts of everything over the course of the day. While they're at school, they're not. We'll talk about that with her later on in the show. Also, I want to tackle the not glitzy or glamorous topic, but necessary one of female genital mutilation in about an hour here. It's an important topic. We'll speak to a guest from India who's been doing a great deal of work on the subject and more importantly, why it's actually an issue that we cannot ignore here in Canada, despite a general sense of unawareness about it. We'll also speak later on about the latest update in the Omar Khadr case, looking for even more freedoms than he has already. We'll talk about those later on. But first, I want to go down this road here that I touched on a little bit yesterday. And that is the profound disconnect between free speech and so many people in this day and age, particularly those on college and university campuses who would rather shut down and silence speakers they dislike than actually engage them. And this happened earlier this week at Ryerson University in Toronto, where a panel called (laughs) Stifling Free Speech on Campus was shut down by the university. You can't get more self-fulfilling than that because they said they couldn't guarantee the safety of those attending and those speaking, which included Jordan Peterson, Faith Goldie, and a psychologist uh, that I wasn't familiar with, as well as my guest for this segment, Professor Gad Saad, who is a professor at Concordia University of Marketing and also the Concordia University Research Chair in Evolutionary Behavioral Sciences and Darwinian Consumption. Professor Gad Saad, it's good to have you on the show. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Real pleasure. Look, you have spoken out extensively and, and really a, a small number of people in the academy that are really willing to say we, we need to put a stop to a lot of these forces that are trying to silence debate and silence discussion. And you've been at free speech forums. And I, I don't think the censors realize how much they're feeding into the very message that you're raising. When we have this event at Ryerson University that was supposed to take place, literally called the stifling of free speech on university campuses, and then it is cancelled. How how does anyone think this is justifiable? Well, you know, it just it leaves me breathless, right? Because, I mean, if I, you know, I'm one of the things that I'm known for in my public engagement is uh, my satire and my sarcasm. And uh, this, this beats any satire that I could come up with, right? I mean, what irony that 
the message that we're exactly uh, what, that we were meant to discuss in this event ends up happening before our eyes. And I guess this irony is lost on those intellectual terrorists. The part that I find the most problematic about this is that they're, they're never candid about the fact that we just don't want to have this dialogue. They tend to shroud it in terms of, oh, well, you know, security and, and safety reasons. And that was precisely what happened here. A statement from Ryerson said, after a thorough security review, the university has concluded that Ryerson is not equipped to provide the necessary level of public safety for the event to go forward. So, First off, it's problematic because apparently having a forum with a couple of academics is a public safety risk, but moreover that the university uses that as its excuse for not being able to have it. Well, and that logic, by the way, I satirized it yesterday in a message that I sent out on my social portals. I referred exactly to the logic that you mentioned, but I also referred to a a decision in Sydney, Australia, where they decided to not build a synagogue because that would... Uh, tr- you know, trigger some s- security concerns, to which I then argued that we now have a new uh, medical uh, paradigm. Uh, in order to stop brain cancer, you simply behead healthy patients, and this <laughs> ensures that that problem is eradicated. And then just repeat that logic for all other organs, and you pretty much eradicate all diseases. Yeah, it's the modern adaptation of that old expression, cutting off your nose to spite your face. I mean, how far are we prepared to go to preempt something that could cause a minor inconvenience when a far greater threat is coming from the supposed remedy to this? Exactly. I mean, think about it. If a, if a kid goes in with a fake gun to a uh, convenience store to rob uh, $25, society de- decides that this is an intolerable threat of violence and they punish him accordingly in the, in the criminal system. But if a bunch of thugs shut down free speech, with, which at the, at the collective societal level is a much greater threat to our freedom than some kid going in with a toy gun to steal, uh, you know, $25, then people yawn in apathy and move along. I mean, it's simply grotesque, and people don't appreciate how we are slowly inch, inching to the abyss of infinite darkness. Earlier in this conversation, you used the term intellectual terrorists. Are you talking about the people that are trying to protest these events to shut them down or or the administrators that capitulate to them? I was talking about the ones who try to shut them down, but in a sense, it's really a tango. These guys, the the ones who are trying to uh, shut everything down, would find, you know, would, would, uh, would would garner no success if they didn't have administrators who perhaps, just to be charitable, maybe some of these administrators actually don't share uh, their tactics, but they are so overcome with cowardice, they so wish to take the what they consider to be the path of less res- least resistance that they capitulate. So you really need cowardly uh, administrators for the, you know, the endless threats of violence to be successful. So in a sense, they're, they're both part of the same greater problem. You know, Ryerson University has actually, uh, as part of the school, uh, an organization called the Center for Free Expression. And I find it interesting. And to be clear, from that very Center for Free Expression, James Turk had written a piece this week condemning the decision to cancel it. But it means that this great commitment that Ryerson has to open discourse and free expression is in a lot of ways theatrical. I mean, when the you-know-what hits the fan and there is a test condition set put around it, it's a lot easier just to say, oh, well, you know, there's a safety risk. We can't have free speech here. It's completely empty rhetoric. As a matter of fact, 
when I uh, became aware of the article that the gentleman in question had written uh, under the auspices of that, the Center for Free Expression, I then tweeted at him and I said, oh, you referred to us as conservative academics with odious uh, positions. Why don't you come on my show, The Sad Truth, and we could discuss which of my positions you consider uh, odious so that we can sort of clarify it. Uh, do you want to guess whether he responded to me? <laughs> I, I'm going to put my money on no. There you go. Well, unreal, yet at the same time, unsurprising. I have to take a break here. Joining me on the line is Professor Gad Saad of Concordia University as we talk about the cancellation of this event in Toronto this past week at Ryerson University and really the chilling message that sends on the question of free speech. We'll talk more with Professor Gad Saad on the other side of the break here. Andrew Lawton in for Roy here on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Roy may be a lot of things, but shy isn't one of them. He never backs down from a good debate. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. We are back. You're listening to the Chorus Radio Network and the Roy Green Show. I'm Andrew Lawton in for Roy with you this weekend here as we talk with Professor Gad Sad, who is a free speech advocate. And I say that with a level of disappointment. I mean, it shouldn't be controversial for an academic to stand up for free thought and a free exchange of ideas and intellectual freedom and academic freedom. But it is. It is controversial. He's somewhat of a pariah in the academic community. And I wanted to actually ask you about that, Professor Gad Saad, because one of the challenges we see is that academia has always been dominated by by radicals, in effect. And I don't mean that in a negative sense necessarily, but people who have had to be radical to push the envelope to develop the research that is now really mainstream today. And I go back to years ago now, that the debate at Western University between Philippe Rushton and, and David Suzuki, a debate that clearly you'd never be able to have in 2017. Was there one turning point at which it it became such a problem to even think of having dialogue, or has this really just been a long time coming? It's been a long time coming, and as a matter of fact, uh, my next book, which is currently tentatively titled Death of the West by a Thousand Cuts, if you like, uh, goes through this historical trajectory. You really needed a perfect confluence of faux intellectual movements. So, Postmodernism, which rejects objective truth, radical feminism, which argues that there are no innate sex differences, identity politics, intersectionality, cultural and moral relativism. None of these faux intellectual movements would have been sufficient to lead us to where we are now. But put them all together in this cocktail, this, this tsunami of nonsense, and then 40 years down the line, where we are currently, where we're currently at, that's where you end up, a complete departure from reason, because you have a complete nihilistic view of the world where, you know, we just slash and burn reason. And so what I'm going to be doing in my, in my book is, is sort of going through this historical trajectory, which then leads us to what I've coined ostrich parasitic syndrome, which is, uh, I mean, it sounds as though I'm, I'm being satirical, but I'm, I'm actually being very genuine. There, there's all sorts of examples in the, in, in the animal kingdom where a, an animal is infected with a brain pathogen or brain parasite that leads it to take decisions that are suboptimal, if not deadly for its survival. Uh, well, ostrich parasitic syndrome, in my view, is this collective psychosis that we are seeing. So, for example, political correctness, 
you know, I'd rather be politically correct so that I don't appear non-racist rather than trigger my natural instinct to survive and defend my children. And so I will go through all of these things in my forthcoming book. If you do take an evolutionary behavioral science perspective, obviously your field of research right now, and approach that issue, are humans unique in doing that? Is this this just a human phenomenon? Well, I think the fact that we have a prefrontal cortex that's very big, that's evolved to lead to higher intelligence, uh, in a sense, yes. So other animals are also parasitized by brain worms. But in their case, it's literally a biological agent that is parasitizing their brains. As far as I know, we are the only animal or the only species that is infected by a parasite that is based on a collect- collection of bad ideas, right? <laughs> so it's not really just a metaphor. I'm literally arguing that the collection of these bad ideas is a form of parasite, but the parasite is not a pathogen, but if you'd like, it's a pathogenic idea that renders you completely useless in defending yourself. If we do take such a borderline clinical approach to this, does that mean that it's not something that we can stop, that it's just innate in how people view the world? Well, I mean, it is innate only in the sense that there'll be within a distribution of people, some some who are likely to be to fall prey to that disease while others won't. The question is, are there any intervention strategies that we can use to try to inoculate people against uh, contracting uh, ostrich parasitic syndrome? And the reason why I get so engaged in, you know, publicly is because my, my hope is that some of these people will, event- if they are sufficiently exposed to information, to reason, to logic, to science, to evidence, uh, we could pull them out of the quicksand uh, quicksand of lunacy. Now, for some folks, it's too late. They've contracted a form of uh, ostrich parasitic syndrome that is fatal. It is spread, it is metastasized, and they're (laughs) gone. But others could be recouped, and in a sense, I fight for them. We've seen how much of a bandwagon approach there is on a lot of these things. So this past few weeks, for example, we've had everyone tearing down Confederate statues, and then that merges into what we see in Canada this week, with people trying to take John A. McDonald's name off of schools. And, and then you have local city councils in Canada that are trying to do more following on what has become really now an, a, a push for all of these social justice causes because everyone has cover now because, oh, well, everyone else is doing it, so we can do it here. Do you think that that will lose momentum at some point and and people will start realizing like for example academics on the far left that all of a sudden realize you know what my right to free speech might be threatened under this or do you think that that self-interest or that enlightened self-interest is too far removed from what we're seeing now for it to really result in a tangible shift well i think what needs to happen is there needs to be a critical mass of people who rise up in unison so that those who are truly enemies of reason become marginalized, right? Uh, it, it takes more than uh, Jordan Peterson and Gatsad and a few others, as you said, a handful of others to speak out. Now, of course, we're, we're a good start. We hopefully can start the domino effect. But if other people don't feel sufficiently empowered and invigorated to get into the battle, we will lose it. So really what, what the whole thing rests on is that everyone, people ask me, you know, what, what, what can I do, professor, to, to contribute? Well, I understand that you may not have a big forum, but when your professor says something that is nonsensical, challenge him or her politely. When your friends on Facebook say something that you disagree with, challenge them respectfully and politely. In other words, don't be apathetic hoping that others 
will carry the battle of, the, of ideas for you. Everybody has a voice. If everybody rises, then we'll quickly realize that we are in the majority and we will win the battle of ideas. If we all are too concerned about buying our groceries tonight and our daughter's uh, graduation ceremony tomorrow, then we will lose the battle because the other guys, while they are in the minority, they are well-organized and they are very motivated. So rise up and contribute to the battle of ideas. I think that's so important because right now the status quo, which is one that overwhelmingly supports censorship, has put the stakes so high for those who challenge them that we are talking about job loss for many people. We are talking about social isolation. So I can understand the challenges, but you're saying it is really an imperative for people to stand up and disrupt that. Well, and the, and the way that I would analogize what you just said, because I receive innumerable letters and emails and messages asking me, you know, you know Professor, I want to contribute, but I'm afraid for reason X, Y, Z. And then my rebuttal is, look, when you go to war, I mean, literal, physical war, do you go to war with a guarantee that you won't get in any way hurt? Well, here we don't have a physical war, but we have a battle of ideas which, by the way, might lead to physical war eventually. What guys like me and others who are you know, engaging in the public exchange of ideas, we're trying to thwart that. We're trying to ensure that we never get far along down the line where the only solution will be war. So in the same way that you can't go into physical battle without expecting that there'll be zero chance of you getting hurt, you also can't properly get engaged in the battle of ideas while being assured that there's zero chance to your job and zero chance of you getting a worse grade from a dishonest professor. That's just part of the reality. I mean, and then I, I asked them when they, I respond when they ask me, do you not think that I've taken great risks both personally and professionally for the things that I do? Do you know how many jobs did not come my way in other uh, cities uh, where I could have been a professor that I might have wanted to move to because people were afraid to offer me a job because, quote, I'm controversial. So we all have a, a burden to bear. And uh, don't be a coward. Face it and move forward. Joining me on the line, Professor Gad Sad, a marketing professor at Concordia University and a research chair in evolutionary behavioral sciences and Darwinian consumption. You can also catch him on YouTube as host of The Sad Truth, Sad with two A's. Professor Gad Sad, great to talk to you, sir. Thank you so much for your time today and for your work on this issue. Really important, and I appreciate it very much. My pleasure. Thank you. You know, Jordan Peterson once told me when I guest co-hosted a show with him, and he's, of course, along that same vein, professors that are standing out against political correctness and standing out for free speech. He said, you don't get to choose to have no punishment. He said, you're going to get punished for speaking out and fighting it, and you're going to end up getting punished for not. So he said, you only get to choose which punishment. You don't get to choose no punishment at all. And it's along the vein of what Professor Gadsad was saying earlier that I think people need to realize this is coming one way or another. Is there a toll to stand up against it? Yes. But is it worth fighting? Absolutely. When we come back in just a few moments, your thoughts on this here on The Roy Green Show. 1-800-263-2428. I'm Andrew Lawton in for Roy. Stay tuned.